Good morning, everyone. Uh, realizing there's probably some people here today that don't know who I am, I will give you a brief introduction. My name is Ron Owens. I first started attending Cary Community Church in 1985. So uh, I am one of the senior people here. Uh, I think the only person I see older than me by a few months is Jerry Dinsmore. <laughs> So I'll tell you, uh, we're not older than dirt, but we were here when they delivered it. <laughs> so with that, what I'm going to share with you this morning is about the two halves of my life. I'm 78 years old. Uh, the first half of my life I spent in one form. The second half I spent in a much nicer form. And I want to explain some of the differences between the two to you. Now, I know some of my colleagues and friends from the first half of my life wouldn't have believed this, but I was churched all of my life. Uh, The first eight to ten years of my life I spent in southeastern Kentucky. Uh, My grandfather, my mother's father, was a lay minister in the United Southern Baptist Church, which is very prominent in Appalachia, in the mountains. Uh, one of my earliest memories was sitting on a wooden bench listening to him preach. He had an interesting preaching style. He was not an educated man. He didn't preach a message. What he did was sit for hours and read scripture and memorize it. And when he preached, he would get up and preach for an hour quoting scripture and never repeat himself. Many of his Contemporaries preached the same way. Now, interestingly enough, uh, some a few years later, I had an uncle who was an ordained minister in the same church. Uh, started many churches in central Ohio, several here in southern Michigan. He also had a, a music ministry, had his own radio program. Uh, he uh, was a bluegrass gospel advocate. Now, that's my kind of music. It's twangy, I will admit. But every Sunday morning on my way into church here, I listen to the the Bluegrass Junction Sunday morning gospel program. It lasts four hours. And again, I will say it's twangy, but it really gets me in the mood to celebrate God's great wonder. Uh I had a strong belief in God as a young man because of my upbringing. I knew that God created the heavens and the earth. I knew he was omnipotent. I knew he was all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing. I knew that and I believed it. Interesting thing was, though, I could not believe the prophecies of Christ's birth and death. That was just too, too unbelievable to me. I couldn't... I just couldn't get my hands around it. Now, I, I dif- it's difficult for me to explain why I couldn't believe that if I could believe in God. So, because I was churched, I was exposed to an awful lot of proof about Christ's divinity. And I can quote most of it to you. Uh, there was a significant, there, in fact, there's 11 prophecies in the Old Testament alone about Christ's birth and death. 
uh, 11 times between 1500 B.C. and 700 B.C., Christ's birth and death was prophesied. Beginning in Genesis. Two entries in Genesis. What does that tell me? That Christ was part of God's plan from the beginning. It wasn't something he just thought up along the way because people weren't doing too well with the Ten Commandments. It was part of the plan all along. I'm not going to read all 11 of those uh, scripture excerpts to you, but I would like to share two with you and see what you think in terms of, boy, kind of convicting. So number one was Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That was about 800 years before that occurred. And number two, this is in Psalm 22. This is about 800 years before Christ's birth and death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. This 800 years before it happened. (laughs) Uh, Two other pieces of proof in my mind that I ignored, didn't listen to. It was my pleasure to observe a number of my family members and friends who had accepted Christ as their Savior. And I could see the difference in their life. It changed them. But I ignored that also. And then the last one, is an interesting piece. I don't know if anybody's familiar with the Jewish historian Josephus. He was a first century Israeli, did not believe in Christ as the Messiah. He was a traditional Jew. He identified twice in the histories that he wrote in number 18 and number 20. In the first one, he talked about the impact this, this radical Jesus had on the culture of the time, that he was seen as a tremendously influential person among the rank-and-file people, that he had done some wondrous works, and that he had a tremendous following, and he was challenging the Jewish establishment. And that he was, because of that, crucified by Pontius Pilate and placed in a grave. Now, because Josephus wasn't a believer, he didn't report very much about the rising of Christ. And in 20, he commented on the fact that James, the brother of Jesus, was a significant leader in the early Christian church. So he saw all this happening, but of course he didn't believe either. Neither did I. So what Easter to me was in those days then... There was a joy in Easter, yeah. A lot of good food, a lot of good fellowship, time with family, games, Easter eggs. And I noticed that those of my family and friends who were believers had a significant beaming joy on their faces. But not me. But I can tell you what I did have a number of times. 
particularly around Easter, I would ask myself, what if I'm wrong? What if I should have been believing all this time? What am I risking? I started attending Caring Community Church in 1985, I said, after many invitations from my wife. So I began attending with my wife and children. And the messages I heard from our pastor helped me begin to understand why I didn't believe. And it was a simple, simple problem. I was defining God on my terms. I was putting God in a box that fit what I was comfortable with. You can't put a box around God. I knew that, but I ignored it. I was trying to limit what God was capable of doing. And if he could create that, create all of us, he surely could have sent his son to pay for our sins. I finally accepted that. On January 28, 1986, I realized that I'd been wrong. I did have a reason to fear. I dropped on my knees. I confessed to God that I was a sinner. That I did believe that he sent his only son to die for my sins. And then he rose from the grave on the third day, met with many of his followers, other people, a lot of witnesses, and then met with his disciples the final time and then returned to heaven to be with the Father on his right hand until he came again to judge us all. Could put up number three, please? It's interesting. Christ had appeared to the disciples several times. Thomas was never present. Thomas was one of his strong followers, but he couldn't believe that Christ had risen from the grave. I mean, when you're dead, you're dead, right? The third time he appeared to the disciples, Thomas was present. And what he said to Thomas was, Put your fingers here and look at my hands. Put your hands into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas replied, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Well, guess what? I was blessed on the 28th of January, 1986, because I finally believed without seeing. And I can't tell you the, the feeling of joy that came into existence in my heart. Now I'm saved from my sins. So my joy now around Easter is that. I am joyous because I am saved. I finally believed. I still have that other joy, the time with family. The girls and I sat yesterday and ate some pizza bread and uh, 
some cherry jubilee that was 90% sugar and butter. And I thought it was the best cherry jubilee I've ever had. (laughs) They colored some Easter eggs. And that was a joyous time to just be present for that. So knowing that, then, do I still have a fear? Yes, I do. I still have a fear. What if I'm not doing enough? Let me share a scripture verse with you. This is from Matthew, number four. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. So that causes me to say, I know what I've been told to do, and I am obedient. Am I doing enough? Am I living up to what Christ expects of me? after he paid that ultimate price. Anybody ever seen the movie Passion of the Christ about the crucifixion? A lot of hands. It is a violent, gory movie. I don't recommend it for small children. In fact, maybe even not for young teens. But there is a proper time in every Christian's life when they should watch that movie. As painful as it is, as emotional as it can get, if it doesn't leave you in tears, then you've got a harder shell than mine. <laughs> because the price he paid was so significant. So I'm asking, am I doing enough? Well, I would like to do something today that I've, I've never done before. Kathleen. I've asked Kathleen to come up and play some nice, soft, reflective music. And I'm going to offer to pray that prayer of salvation I prayed in 1986, which I may tell you, I repeat almost weekly. I find that it does my soul good to repeat that prayer as often as I think of it. But I would like to quietly pray that prayer with you this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And if you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer, I shared some of that background, some of that proof that was for many years not good enough for me, but finally convicted me that this was the right thing to do. So if you're here and want to pray that prayer with me, I would welcome you. If you're here and have prayed that prayer before, repeat it with me again, because it always does my heart good to repeat that. It instills in me again a discipline. So with that... Heavenly Father, I am a sinner, Lord. But I am ready to ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I know Christ was conceived and born of the Virgin Mary, that he carried on a ministry for me and for all others. That he died on the cross for my sins, not for his, because he was blameless. He was the only man who ever lived 
that never committed a sin. I believe that he rose from the grave in three days. That he was seen by many, many people. That he met a number of times with his disciples. That he commissioned us to go forth and preach to the world. That he ascended to heaven and sets at the right hand of God now as an intercessor for all of us. Lord, he will come again to judge the world. And I look forward to the day of his return. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for your gift of your son Christ, for the terrible price that he paid for me and for everyone else. And Lord, I thank you for that blessing in his name, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me for the first time today, all I would ask is that sometime before the sun sets, you would share that with somebody you care for. Because they will rejoice in the decision you've made. And they will be there to support you going on. It could be anyone. Spouse, parent, child, friend. Could be anyone in the church. But just share that with somebody so that you've reinforced that you made that decision today. Now all I can say to you is, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you.